This is ReachMD. I'm your host, Ana Maria Rosario, Senior Executive Producer at ReachMD. And joining us today is Dr. Anita Nelson, Professor Emeritus at the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. And we will be discussing excessive vaginal bleeding. Dr. Nelson, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. We appreciate you being here with us today. Well, let's start off with helping us understand the issue. How prevalent is excessive vaginal bleeding, and and what are the risks and complications for women who experience this? I think there are two different kinds of excessive bleeding that we have to think about clinically. One would be the woman who's bleeding right now. She's pouring out blood. So that would be an acute bleed. And then there's the woman who every single month loses too much blood. It's unhealthy for her to lose that much blood. And I think the approaches today, the terminology today, a lot of this has been revolutionized by by different classification systems. So this is a very exciting time to be talking about this issue. So for the patient that presents with this issue, what are your top of mind concerns to address first? Well, she's bleeding. Right, and, and the woman who is acutely bleeding, you've got to stop the bleeding. And then the second, but very close to that, is find out why is she bleeding so that you can prevent this from happening again. Sometimes acute bleeding can be a bad infection. Sometimes it can be a manifestation of, of cancer. Sometimes, I mean, some of the worst bleeding I've seen is when a woman is actually delivering a fibroid to her cervix. Uh, those ladies just have it's turn on the faucet time of bleeding or when she's losing an IUD. So there's something acutely different that's happening now and we need to, if it needs to be taken care of right now, we take care of it. We pull the IUD out or we do what we need to do to take care of the the myoma that that is uh, delivering. So those kinds of acute real problems need to be dealt with. In terms of complications, you know, I'm glad you asked this question because we just published a study of women who came into our ER at Harbor UCLA from 2008 to 2012. And, you know, with anemia, anemia is considered a hemoglobin less than 12, right? We were looking for women who were admitted to the hospital with hemoglobins less than 5 due to the vaginal bleeding. There were about 160 women who came in because they had an end-stage renal disease or they had a cancer. Interestingly, nobody asked those women about their periods. And you know, it, certainly the bleeding wasn't due to their periods, but if they'd asked about it, we could have stopped the bleeding and the women could have held on to a little bit more of their red blood cells. But coming back to the women who actually came in because they had excessive bleeding, some of it was acute, some of it was chronic. It was fascinating to see. Many of them thought that their periods were perfectly normal. Some women who have heavy bleeding actually think it's light or they're very proud of their bleeding. They've been told that the heavier the bleeding, the more fertile they are, the more feminine they are. And to break through and say, no, this is not normal doesn't resonate with them. But if you say in your white coat, this is not healthy, then I think you can open a dialogue about how it is you can do things that are better for their health. But to actually see a woman with a hemoglobin of one8 walk into the ER or 2.1 and you don't want her to stub her toe because she's going to bleed more. So these are scary, scary times and to realize that some of the women who present this way had no idea that it was a problem for them, a life-threatening problem, I think really highlights the need for us to be proactive. And when we get a history of nine days of bleeding every month, 
you know, put our foot down and say that is not healthy. We need to deal with this. We need to find out why you're bleeding. Now, one of my favorite stories is a lady exactly like that who came in and said, well, I bleed nine days every month. And I went, oh, and she said, oh, don't worry, Dr. Nelson. She says, every woman in my family bleeds that long. And I thought, you just gave me a pedigree. I need to talk to every woman in your family because none of you has healthy bleeding. So I think part of the, the mystery around the menses is that we don't, really look at it from a medical standpoint we learn from those around us and if they all have problems we don't know that we're not normal yeah we just assume it's normal it's okay because everybody else is doing what i'm doing or i'm, or I'm better because i bleed more yeah yeah. Who sold them that Brooklyn Bridge? Yeah. yeah, right. So there's a lot of myths or just misconceptions that they've either t- taken upon themselves to norm- quote-unquote normalize right. their, what they well, think their know, period should be. I was part of the group that tried to popularize extended cycle pills because when women are on birth control pills, during those placebo weeks, they think they're having their period or their menses, but they're having scheduled bleeding. We're making them do this. There is no health benefit to it at all. So if you, if you can take away that unnecessary bleeding, but it was interesting when we came out with a, they came out with the first generation of four periods a year, there were so many women who were outraged that we were creating negative opinions about bleeding. They were robbing women of their femininity, and it was, this goes deep into the culture, and we need to understand it so that we can help women either understand how their bodies are really working or help them understand that when they cross over into unhealthy, that, that, that they, they're aware of it and that they should seek help. What are the causes of acute excessive vaginal bleeding and how do you approach a diagnostic workup? Well, acutely, if she's bleeding, it could be as simple as, um, well, maybe post-coital bleeding from a chlamydia infection or she had a polyp that was is now disrupted. It could be that her endometrial cancer is pouring forth blood or her cervical cancer is showing blood. She could have an early pregnancy and having a miscarriage, it could be an ectopic pregnancy. She could have a thyroid condition, right? That could manifest itself either by heavy bleeding or light bleeding. Uh, she could have a bleeding diathesis. Oftentimes, those the, the the bleeding problems that come from inability to form clots tend to be longer, more chronic problems. But the first time a young girl has a heavy period, you have to be thinking she can't form blood clots. Maybe she has von Willebrand's. If it suddenly pops up in a woman who's in her 30s, think that maybe her platelets don't work. Her count may be right, but she can't form the plugs. And she's just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. So I I think in the acute setting, our first priority is to stop the bleeding. The second priority is to really work through what the causes could be. Now... There is a new classification system that's come from FIGO. And what it does is it divides up abnormal uterine bleeding into structural problems, and that's the palm, right? The polyps, the adenomyosis, the, right? And functional problems like, and that's the coin, coagulopathy, endocrinopathies, those types of, and natrogenic. So we have to be thinking of of those as we're we're, uh, doing the evaluation. Right? But I think in the moment for acute bleeding, our first priority is to stop the bleeding and then order the tests. And it's interesting, as a patient comes in and she talks about irregular bleeding, there's also new terminology for that. 
and I don't know if you've covered this before, but FIGO put out, before it ever came out with its classification system for abnormal uterine bleeding, they said the terminology we're using is terrible. I mean, what does menorrhagia mean? It means either she has heavy periods, she has prolonged bleeding, or she has heavy and prolonged. So let's give it some English words. And so they're telling us to use words that talk about the frequency, the duration, and the volume. So what we're saying is normal frequency is every 25 to 38 days. The normal duration is four and a half days to eight days. And the flow that's normal is five cc's to 80 cc's. So the patient who comes in and she has a period every 40 days has infrequent bleeding. If it's more frequent than that, we call it frequent bleeding. If her flow is not normal, it's either light or heavy. And if her cycle bleeding lasts too long, it's prolonged. And if it's short, it's short. So we can all talk to each other very clearly in the record to know exactly what that woman's bleeding pattern is like. And then we can say, well, okay, what do we need to work on? That's probably one of the common questions might be how many pads are they going through a day or tampons? Or we know that, that the number of pads or tampons a woman uses on a daily basis is very, um, very variable and not very predictive um, because I have women who will never use less than four pads a day because every time they go to the restroom, they change the pad. Okay, but when she starts talking about passing clots, or she has to wear a tampon and a pad, or she's wearing the pampers. I mean, so many of my women have to wear pads and pampers at night. They keep a towel by the bedside. You know, things like that that really talk about staining episodes where she just can't keep up with it. And it doesn't have to be the whole duration of her period. It could be just that one hour every cycle she can't leave the house because she's bleeding so heavily. So she may not cross over ADML loss. But it gets to that second dimension where bleeding is too heavy if it's too heavy for the woman. If it's upsetting her life cycle, if, if she just wants us to do something, that's a legitimate indication for treatment. We may not spend a million dollars on the workup, right? The patient who comes in, oh, my period is so heavy, right? And you do a hemoglobin and it's 14.5. Okay, so she doesn't need, but it's bothering her. So let's give her some birth control pills. Let's give her... A, you know, an IUD, or let's talk about using something else to offset or treating her with NSAIDs, responding to her perceptions. But the woman who has anemia or the pattern of the bleeding is very worrisome, then you need to do a further workup. Um, can you recall a clinical case of acute excessive vaginal bleeding that stands out in your memory? I'm pretty sure you have many. <laughs> well, our study had 154 women admitted 168 times. Actually, this one got written up. This was a Jehovah's Witness who came in with a hemoglobin of 3.2, and she was actively bleeding with her fibroids and would refuse transfusion. And we had to stop the bleeding. And, yeah, so, yes. And, and she lost a lot of blood, and she was in the ICU for probably two weeks. So, yes, I remember that. And I had a patient who came to me with a story that she woke up in a bed of blood. Actually, she didn't remember waking up all the way, but her friend came in, found her, and called 911. And her hemoglobin at a local hospital, and I verified this, was 1.2. And she was in the ICU and required. And they tanked her up to about 6, and we had difficulty getting her above. I mean, she was half of what was normal, and she was feeling so much better. <laughs> you know, she had some energy. Well, yeah. yeah. Is that amazing? Seriously, so yes. Are there certain risk factors or patient populations more prone to developing this condition, and why? Yes, I think we all recognize that African-American women are much more apt to get fibroids, right? And that's why 
oftentimes they are much more likely to be given a hysterectomy. There are the families that we talked about, the coagulation issues, uh, and perimenopausal women. And that troubles us usually because that's when we begin to worry about endometrial pathology and, and the bleeding patterns are somewhat erratic there. Interesting new study showed us that the woman who comes in late perimenopause, 48 years old, and she's had normal-ish sort of periods, but not heavy, but just maybe the timing is varied. But this time she's having a gully washer, okay? Huge amount of flow, single episode. We used to think, oh my gosh, that's really an indication for a biopsy because this lady could have, right, problems from anovulatory bleeding. Turns out that that single episode we don't need to worry about other than to stop it because that's the cycle she ovulated. She made, we had recruited so many follicles that she made so much estrogen, it thickened her endometrium so much that when she did ovulate and then when that went away, right, she just bleeds. So the single episode, we can take, take our own pulse, right, but still jump on the treatment. And I think what's new, we talked about the new classification, we talked about new terminology, what's new is the new treatments for heavy menstrual bleeding, particularly the acute bleeding. Classically, we've been taught to give estrogen, and it made perfect sense. What stops bleeding at the end of a woman's period is that estrogen causes the cells in the lining of the uterus to proliferate, and they cover over the areas that were denuded where she's left off from the last month. And we've been thinking, well, that's going to be, so let's give her high doses of estrogen and increase that proliferation. Well, there was a wonderful study done at USC looking at women who had acute bleeding. And this is, was published, and that served as a basis uh, for going, aha, we need to give high doses of estrogen. But what most people don't know is that it was 17 women who got estrogen and 17 who got saline. And at three hours, the saline was winning. Okay, And they stopped the study at five hours because it was being done in the ER and they needed the beds. So, I mean, this is really kind of a flimsy database and it changed our whole practice everybody gave estrogen for decades we gave estrogen and it was only very tentatively that we started using birth control pills that had progestin in them because we were afraid of the progestin offsetting the action of the estrogen and today we've actually taken a step forward and we're finding out that don't give estrogen either in birth control pills or by itself give high doses of progestin it works better and it's so much safer there is a condition that many people don't think about hemoglobins or iron deficiency which is what women are going to have if they have heavy periods um, the platelet count goes way up and there's something called a reactive thrombocytosis and some of the women in our study actually had platelet counts over a million now, when OBGYNs are wearing their OB hat, we know that when a woman delivers and has excessive bleeding, we have to keep her away from estrogen for at least six weeks because she's going to really be at high risk for blood clots. But when we're wearing our GYN hat and we have a woman who's bleeding heavily, we give her estrogen. And I think we need to remember our OB side because those women are much at higher risk for getting blood clots. And who wants a blood clot with a hemoglobin of 5? So using the progesterone and the study that was done that showed us how very well this worked used medroxyprogesterone acetate, 20 milligrams, three times a day for seven days, and then once a day for 21 days. And I think a key is make sure she doesn't bleed for at least a month. 
you get your lab tests back, you have time, and you've given her some recovery time. Whether you transfused her or not, you got rid of the platelet excess, you gave her breathing room, she was able to make more red blood cells. It, it is important. You don't just give a short course of therapy and then walk away from her, right? You really want to get total control of that bleeding. I think that's the piece. Now, if the first time you write for that prescription, and it happened to me, I sent my little lady who was a hemoglobin of 8 off to the pharmacy, and three hours later she came back and she said the pharmacist wouldn't fill it. You, he said you made a mistake. They're not used to seeing that. So ever since I circled the 20 milligrams, make a little arrow, and I say, yes, I mean 20 milligrams, do a couple of little funny faces and exclamation bars. Or on the electronic records, I make a note, yes, this is the dose I really want. So she doesn't bleed for another four or five hours while she's negotiating with a pharmacist. Good to know for our listeners. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD where we are recording live at Omnia Education's Women Health and Annual Visit Educational Symposium in Pasadena, California. And I'm your host, Ana Maria Rosario, and I'm chatting with Dr. Anita Nelson. And I think we already discussed treatment for excessive vaginal bleeding. In, in the acute phase, we did. Okay. But you know, there are just so many things that we can do for women who just chronically bleed too much, and we can start with the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. In Europe, they use Ponstel a lot, but in the United States, we use ibuprofen, 800 milligrams three times a day for up to five days and women can start it at the beginning of their period they just take this and it means a pad a day less and it means one day a cycle less bleeding so a good 20 to 30 percent reduction in blood loss and if she's just got a marginally heavy bleed that may be all she needs right she doesn't want to have hormones for birth control or mommy doesn't want her to use birth control that's one group we have now anti-fibrinolytics we have Lysteta, which is a tra- transamic acid, and it's 650 milligrams, two tablets, three times a day, again, for up to five days, taken when she's having her period. And the study showed a, about a 38, 39% reduction, again, non-hormonal. Uh, in fact, the FDA doesn't want you to give it to women who are using estrogen because she might clot one way or the other, and they don't want to do that. But then let's think about progestin-only birth control pills cause atrophy of that endometrium. Let's think about, for the woman who has really heavy bleeding, let's give her Depo-Provera, right? Let's shut off that bleeding. Let's think of moving up the line. Oral contraceptives, take away those bleeds altogether. Give extended cycle or at least shorten the pill-free interval. Okay, she wants to have a little spotting, go to one of the pills. There actually is now a pill approved by the FDA for the treatment of heavy menstrual bleeding, and it works almost as well as Mirena does. And it's in the United States, it's called Natasia. It doesn't have ethanyl estradiol. It has an estradiol by itself, a much weaker estrogen. So I think these are things people may not have the full range of, of thoughts, but we have so many tools. And that's just from the medicine side of it. I mean, you can do mechanical things. You certainly can uh, ablate the uterus if you need to. If she has a fibroid that's causing, you can take the fibroid out. Uh, only as a last-ditch effort would we take out a uterus, particularly in a younger woman. The one thing that we, we didn't talk about much, and that is how very prevalent bleeding diatheses are in women who have heavy bleeding. We are just discovering particularly platelet disorders, and I think this is opening discussion about reaching out to our colleagues in hematology, that a woman doesn't have to have easy bruising. She may not have lost an excessive amount of blood when she she delivered her baby, but now she does just bleed too much, and it's been growing over the last couple of years, and now it really is unhealthful. 
that that lady needs to know it before this, she goes for her hysterectomy. I think we've all had that case where we go in and the uterus looks pretty normal, but we lost 700 mLs of blood. Where did that come from? We didn't know she couldn't form clots. Or better, more importantly, that lady needs to know if she's ever in an automobile accident, they can't stop the bleeding. So a little waistband that says, I have this bleeding problem, could be life-saving for her. So the gynecologist has a way of, you know, bridging that and making people aware, but we just haven't been thinking about it as much outside of the Von Willebrands. Which surgical approach or approaches do you normally recommend for minimizing complication risks in patients who want to preserve their fertility? For women who want to preserve their fertility, there isn't anything you can do to the endometrium from a surgical standpoint, but if she has one obvious submucosal fibroid, you could certainly either remove it with a a myomectomy. There are newer things that are coming out where we can destroy the fibroid, either with cryo or with heat or using ultrasound waves, so that, that there are new things that are coming around the areas of particularly fibroids. Adenomyosis is functional, and usually it's either hysterectomy or it's medical, and hopefully it's medical long before therapy would be considered before we'd ever think of doing a hysterectomy. Is there anything we didn't cover today that you'd like our listeners to know more about? Or Well, I think that this is just such an exciting time for this topic because we have so many new insights and things to think about when the woman comes in. I think we need to alert women that this is a potential problem, um, that they should grin and bear it, that it's not healthy, um, and form a partnership with them to find out what their priorities are in terms of fertility. And we have to be humble and recognize that a lot of what we have done and will continue to do to help women with heavy bleeding is really off-label. And we need to inform women that we have lots of really good evidence that this is safe and effective. But if she goes to Google it, she won't find it. So, Dr. Nelson, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your insights and experiences on excessive vaginal bleeding. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot. I know I did. Well, thank you so much for covering the topic. I think it's really important to women's health. I am your host, Ana Maria Rosario. Please visit ReachMD.com to download this podcast and others in the series. Please also like, share, or comment on this episode. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners. You've been listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.